Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. Thank you for joining us today for the October 10th, 2023 Tuesday reading of the Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. Today we will be reading from the following main articles. Workers at Urban Peak Unionize, written by Own Swallow. States Dropping Gender-Affirming Care for Minors, written by Rosai Trammell. Local Queer Voting Guide, written by Julie Rivers. And Tayyip Erdogan Mistakes UN Furnishings for LGBTQ Flags, written by Penn Watkins, and followed up with miscellaneous articles. Workers at Urban Peak Unionize. In late July of this year, the Workers at Urban Peak, a shelter that serves and supports Denver unhoused youth, voted to unionize. The effort makes Urban Peak the first shelter to unionize in the history of Colorado, according to the news release by Service Employees International Union Local 105, which now represents the workers at Urban Peak. Urban Peak has been around for over 35 years, and they provide a range of services for unhoused youth. According to CEO Christine Carlson, we provide a full continuum of services to get people off the streets. We do street outreach, meeting youth where they are at, as a sort of first step of engagement to them, knowing that a lot of young people who we serve might not have had a lot of positive reactions with adults in the past. We provide 24-7 housing for ages 15 to 21 and daytime options for people 21 to 25. Once the mothership, the new facility being built, is operational, we will be able to provide a wider range of options for individuals who are older than 21. She adds, we provide meals and showers and laundry. We offer case management and classes. All of our work is trauma-informed, which has been a bit of a jargon over the years. In short, we take the approach not of what is wrong with you, but what happened to you, to recognize behaviors relating to trauma responses and identifying ways to recover. Unfortunately, queer youth have a long history of being overrepresented in the unhoused populations, according to a report by the National Network for Youth. Up to 40% of the 4.2 million unhoused youth identify as LGBTQ+. Carlson also discussed how Urban Peak serves the queer community. First and foremost, it's about how do we have a welcoming environment that allows youths to be their authentic selves understanding that we are talking about young people who are figuring themselves out, so creating a place where they feel and can, they can explore themselves, including that aspect, is really crucial. One of the ways that we serve our youth is to allow them to self-identify which dorms they want to be placed in. We asked Carlson if Irvin Peak has taken any official stance on unionization. We thought, as an organization, it was important to allow our workers to have that debate. There were people who were passionate about it on both sides, Carlson explains. Ultimately, they decided they wanted to move forward with that, and we are engaging with the union on a variety of levels. We are excited to figure out ways to address their concern and to continue to build out our programming so that we continue to do the work that we do. 
According to the SEIU, workers express concerns over high workloads, turnover, and lack of proper training and resources to effectively serve young, unhoused people. The SEIU describes the work done at Urban Peak as difficult both physically and emotionally. The union pointed to a series of incidents from earlier in the year, including one where 19-year-old Xavier Wake froze to death in a tent less than a block away from the Urban Peak's shelter. Wake had previously received services from Urban Peak. An employee of Urban Peak, who has requested they remain anonymous, told OFM that, to their knowledge, workers had been discussing unionization for well over a year before efforts were brought to leadership. I think overall it was a burnout and compassion fatigue. There is a shortage of staff and support on the floor, as was felt by the frontline staff. There were several deaths that happened close together, which really impacted the staff, they add. People didn't feel they had a seat at the table when it came to the decision-making process. They did an increase in budgets, so everyone got a raise. The work our frontline folks do is so important and really hard, as we have seen a shift in our landscape for folks experiencing homelessness. Is, it is brutal. Carlson says, as an organization, we have worked really hard to provide a living wage and benefit for folks. We cover staff members' health care insurance at 100%, and we're expanding dental. We've brought a, on a dedicated trainer specifically to handle onboarding to make sure our employees are equipped to serve the community. The anonymous Urban Peak employee adds that I think a lot of people in leadership don't understand it. There are people in management who are supportive, but generally it's not something I can say we have felt a lot of support from. Everybody here, because they love the youth, I think some people felt decision to unionize was personal. They emphasize that they hope the union allows the organization to better serve unhoused youth. Earliest year, earlier this year, the nonprofit broke ground on a new shelter in January. However, they failed to renew a $500,000 grant for mental health services shortly after due to performance issues. The loss of that grant is not expected to impact the opening of Urban Peak's new campus, the Mothership. The organization has played an effective role in securing more than $2.5 million in funding for unhoused youth services through the Department of Housing and Urban Development and the newly created Youth Homelessness Demonstration Program. Carlson said that Urban Peak has been part of the planning and application process for the grant for years now. The grant will be used for an array of services to help unhoused youth, including rapid rehousing and permanent supportive housing. HUD Recreation Regional Man Administration, Dominique Jackson, presented the Metro Denver Homelessness Initiative with the grant at Urban Peaks facility on December 27th. Are held up by the conservative community as examples of people who regret their medical transitions. In North Dakota, providers are similarly dropping care like in Missouri, but where some providers have chosen to offer one form of gender-affirming care versus another. It appears that some North Dakota providers have chosen to stop providing gender-affirming care for minors at all despite the law not stating that it is illegal. Profit plays a factor and practices are afraid of the potential of losing money in settlements down the line. In a report by the Associated Press, Executive Director Jasmine Beach Ferreira of the Campaign for Southern Equality reports that some psychiatrists and pharmacists have stopped providing and filling hormone prescriptions for minors, which again is not illegal under the law. 
Young transgender individuals have been hurt both mentally and physically by both laws put into place and providers dropping their gender-affirming health care as a result of fear-mongering tactics by conservative lawmakers in North Dakota. A 12-year-old Tate Donnelly and his mother, Devin Donnelly, now have to make a five-hour drive to Minnesota for his medical appointments. Devin says it's not right and it's not fair that our own state government is making us feel like we chose between the health and well-being of a child and our home, as reported by the Associated Press. And more and more laws across the states are put forward attempting to ban gender-affirming care for minors. It seems many other families may also be forced to make the choice between the physical and mental health of their child and their home. Local Queer Voter's Guide. Voters in Denver and Colorado Springs already elected their mayors this year which might have some thinking that their civic duties have been fulfilled for the year. But before you put your electoral politics behind you and immediately start to forget the names of all the officials you elected to office, don't forget that November 7th is still Election Day in Colorado. With some important measures on the ballot and a number of important races around the state, we're running down some of the biggest races and what they mean for Coloradoans. Proposition HH, Property Taxes versus Tabor. There are two measures on the ballot all across the state, Proposition HH and Proposition 2, and they're pretty easy to understand once you get past all of the really dry language in the measure. Essentially, what HH would do is reduce future increases in property taxes for at least 10 years. This wouldn't lower current property taxes, but simply allow for smaller increases. The measure would allow the state to keep Tabor refunds for 10 years, with the option of extending that beyond 10 years without further voter approval. What is Tabor exactly, you ask? Well, it may sound like a species from Star Trek. It's actually an acronym that stands for Taxpayer Bill of Rights. The Taxpayer Bill of Rights was a 1992 constitutional amendment that requires voters to approve tax increases in the state but also puts a cap on government growth and spending, with all money collected above the cap being refunded to taxpayers. One way or another, Colorado taxpayers are getting money back. But if HH passes, it will eliminate income brackets and give everybody the same refund amount. If HH fails, refunds will be tied to income brackets, with those making more money getting bigger refunds. Proposition 2, retain nicotine tax revenue because of the underestimate in 2020. Okay, if Proposition HH was a bit much to wrap your head around, you can relax because Proposition 2 is even easier to understand. In 2020, voters approved Proposition EE, which increased nicotine and tobacco taxes to fund a program called Universal Preschool that provides state-sponsored preschool education for children. However, much like everyone in 2020 vastly underestimated how long the pandemic was going to last, lawmakers in 2020 vastly underestimated how much money Proposition EE would bring in for universal preschool. The state brought in an additional $23.65 million, proving that a tax on poisoning yourself is more lucrative than expected. But the state isn't allowed to keep that extra money without voter approval. If Proposition 2 passes, the state gets to keep that extra revenue. If Proposition 2 fails, the money goes back to the wholesalers and distributors, and the tax on the nicotine and tobacco would go down next year. 
While that would mean cheaper cigarettes in the future, it would also put more money back into the pockets of the people selling you those cigarettes, and really, who wants that? The Boulder mayoral race. Traditionally, Boulder, Colorado has never had direct elections for mayor, choosing instead to have the city council elect the mayor, which is only a slightly more sophisticated system than letting a monkey throw darts at a dartboard. However, after the 2020 ballot measure in the general election, the mayor will not only be elected by the people this election, but they'll be elected by a ranked choice voting, which Boulder making... making Boulder one of the first test cases for it in the state. The race is down to four candidates, incumbent Aaron Brockert and challengers Nicole Spear, Bob Yates, and Paul Tweedley. LGBTQ plus issues haven't come up for most of the candidates, as Boulder is Colorado's most notoriously hippy-dippy city to begin with. But one candidate seems to make sure that the LGBTQ plus issues are at the front and center of her campaign. Nicole Spear, a member of the Boulder City Council and the Director of Research Services for the University of Colorado Brain Imaging Research Facility, has a bisexual pride flag as the background of her official campaign logo. Naturally, you shouldn't be voting for someone just because they're queer unless, of course, you're voting on who should be dancing with the stars, in which case you're fully justified in voting 500 times for Changela. But in this race, there's not a ton to differentiate the candidates from each other. Brockett, Spears, and Yates all cite affordable housing, homelessness, and mental health as top priorities. So if Spear being bisexual is what makes her stand out to you, that might be understandable. The Aurora Mariel Race. Aurora decides between three candidates for mayor as a ballot measure known as the strong mayor failed to make it to the ballot. While strong mayor sounds like a fun idea for a weightlifting contest between city council and mayors, what the initiative actually would have done is give more power to the mayor's office, which sounds much less fun. Organizers failed to meet the city's deadline and plan to make another attempt to get it on the ballot for 2025. Mayor Mike Coffin, the incumbent, is the only one of the three candidates who supported the strong mayor initiative. I'm disappointed that the ballot measure is not on the 2023 ballot to give the opportunity for voters to decide on this issue. But I'm glad that it can be on the ballot in 2025 without having to gather signatures again. Kaufman told Denver 7, his challengers Juan Marcano and a city council member and former architectural designer and Jeff Sanford, who has a military background background, both expressed that they're glad the initiative failed, with both candidates telling Denver 7 that the initiative garnered signatures through deceptive means. The Denver Board of Education. The Denver Board of Public Schools of Education election is an important race to watch, as the current school board has been highly criticized for lack of transparency and a level of infighting that makes the United States Congress look like a bastion of civility and teamwork. Much of the controversy surrounds a series of three shootings at Denver High School this past year, the latest being March when a student shot two administrators and then died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 
candidates are up for election in districts one and five. And there's also an at-large seat up for grabs. Paul Ballinger is one of the candidates for the at-large seat. And it's pretty obvious what his solution is for the student safety problem, considering he penned an opinion piece for the Westward in which he criticized school board members for not being receptive to having armed police officers in campuses. But while Ballinger would have to you believe that there's an overwhelming majority calling for school resource officers, while the school board blithely ignores their pleas, the reality of the situation is much more nuanced. Study after study finds out that SROs don't do much, if anything, to prevent school shootings, and the school board unanimously voted in 2020 to remove SROs from Denver schools based on findings that the majority of students being ticketed or arrested were minority students. Considering that as of late, it's been difficult to get the entire school board to unanimously agree that it's dark at night, and a unanimous vote would probably be a sign that action was necessary. One of Ballinger's opponents, Brittany Johnson, has a very different plan for the school safety, as her website touts a plan of gun violence prevention and the safety through equality, focusing on ensuring access to comprehensive mental health resources, aiming to meet the national guidelines of one mental health specialist for every 250 students, as well as an alternative responder system to give students in crisis access to mental health professionals. While it's important to remember that some consider mental illness escape boat go used after mass shootings to direct attention away from gun reform, focusing on getting young people mental health can hardly be a negative, and it seems like a better idea that filling schools with more police officers when there's little evidence that they're helpful. Tie up Erdogan mistakes UN furnishings for LGBTQ flags. Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan seems to have misunderstood the reason for the multicolored bands of fabric hanging in the United Nations headquarters in New York. Following the forum, Erdogan has made statements to the media in Turkey saying, when you enter the UN General Assembly, you see the LGBT colors on the steps and in some other areas. Right now, some leaders are pro-LGBT and some are anti-LGBT. They have as much right to be on the steps of the UN as those that are anti-LGBT. This is a humanitarian issue, and it is important to know that there are people who are upset. Erdogan is very open about his discrimination against the LGBTQ community and has only become more outspoken about it in recent months due to his election campaign. He is known for labeling members of the LGBTQ community as deviants. While it is very easy and valid to call Erdogan out for blatant bigotry, there is an important role note to make. The UN headquarters in New York don't have an LGBTQ plus flags or other decorating supporting the LGBTQ community hanging at all. Several diplomats believe that Erdogan embarrassingly mistook the 17 colors associated with the UN's sustainable development goals for a pride flag. The sustainment Sustainable developmental goals are a list of goals with associated colors that the UN would like to have completed worldwide by 2030. The goals are listed as no poverty, zero hunger, good health, and well-being. 
quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, decent work and economic growth, industry and infrastructure improvements, reduce the inequality, sustainable communities, responsible waste management, climate action, aquatic wildlife safety, terrestrial wildlife safety, strong justice and institutions, and partnerships for said goals, hopefully with the support of the general public. These goals for a better world and future will be met. Thank you for joining us for this program, for this program, the Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros.